Thanks you all so much. We appreciate Matt being here today, jumping in with us. Um, he helps worship at another church in the area. Good friend of Tyler, and he uh, jumped in with us today. We look forward to maybe seeing you a few other times moving forward. Um, we've been in a series uh, traveling through the book of Romans, and we're in Romans chapter 8, and we're coming toward the end of Romans chapter 8. And so um, I made you all a promise a couple weeks ago we were going to take a pause, a time out uh, during the summer months. And so we'll get to Romans chapter 9. Um, a little bit later on and when we get into the fall, uh, but we're going to wrap up today and tomorrow, I'm sorry, next Sunday. Um, the, uh, well, if y'all want to come to church tomorrow, I can preach for you if you want to. But uh, next Sunday, we'll wrap up Romans chapter 8, and so looking forward to that as well. So today we're at Romans chapter 8, uh, probably a familiar passage of Scripture for many of us. Uh, verse 28, we're going to read 28, 29, and 30. And this passage of Scripture, I've preached on it many times before here at the church, um, including this past I think this past fall as we were going through our uh, biblical worldview series. And so it's a passage of scripture, being that it's familiar, sometimes some of the um, value of it, sometimes some of the importance and the theological significance of it gets lost. And so we want to uh, zero in on this passage today and mine it and gather all that God has for us. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. And we stand both out of respect and reverence for God's word, but also be reminded that this is where truth comes from. Amen. Uh, so we're going to read Romans chapter 8, verses, beginning at verse 28. Here we go. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, I am so excited because finally Gordon's going to have to tackle that subject of predestination. And he's going to have to talk about election because it's right there in the text. There's no avoiding it. Well, friends, I hate to disappoint you, but Paul gets into those concepts much more in depth when we get to Romans chapter 9, so you're going to have to wait till the fall until uh, we get to those. So uh, in any case, we are going to um, take a look at this scripture today. Let's begin at Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Let's dissect it together and see what God is promising us here in this verse. He says, uh, the first thing I want you to see is that God made a promise that is, that is to a limited group of people. That is the promise that God makes here, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, is not a promise that he makes to all Americans. This is not a promise that God makes to all churchgoers. Rather, this is a promise that God makes to those who put their faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. He says, for those who love God and for those who have been called according to his purpose. That's who Paul has in mind. And so what that means is that if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you've never entered into a real and personal relationship with him, think about this wonderful promise that God makes that is available to you, a promise that could be comfort to you, a promise that could be strength to you in times of struggle. And so that's something for you to think about. Perhaps you might want to enter into that relationship with him. Now, for those of us who have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, what is this promise that God makes? The promise is that God will overrule the circumstances of life and work those things together for good. That God will overrule, that he will overturn, that he will nullify the bad effects, the bad circumstances that perhaps you may be going through in your life, and that he will turn it into something good, something that's a blessing for you. Notice here in this verse, that this verse does not say that God is going to stop bad things from happening. 
This verse does not say that God will make sure that no bad circumstances ever come into your life. That is not what this verse promises. Um, that would be a nullification of the curse. If you remember Adam and Eve when they were in the garden, they sinned, and God placed a curse upon this world. And every human being who has lived from the time of the very beginning all the way until the end of time has experienced life underneath of this curse. God is not going to stop the curse just for you or just for me. Um, every human being has experienced that. And so we live under the curse. We live in a world that has been subjected to bad things. But what God promises here in this verse to do is to redeem those things and turn them into something good. You follow that? Yes? Okay, good. Now, I think I should point out that God promises to do this not just from sort of bad things, not just from things that are, you know, not pleasant but tolerable. And he doesn't just promise to do this out of wonderful things, but God promises to accomplish this out of all things, the text says. You say, even tragic things? Yes. Even heartache? Yes. Even when I lose my job? Yes. God says he promises to accomplish, work all these things together for the good of those who love him, which means that there is nothing in this world that is beyond the overruling power of Almighty God. God is not trying to tell us that all things are good. All things are indeed not good. We know that all things are not good. Bankruptcy, it's not good. Uh, you know, losing your job, that's not good. Sickness, car accidents, family problems, the death of a, of a loved one, being treated nasty by your neighbor, these are not good things. And God is not trying to sell us on thinking that these are good things. Rather, what God is trying to tell us is that God will take these things, some good, some bad, some terrible, and that he will work them all together, and that the end product will be something that is a blessing, either into your life or into the lives of others. Um, the Greek word there about working together is the, is the word sunerge, and it means to work something together, to skillfully combine things together. And again, by the time God is done mixing these things together, blending them together, overruling them, the end result will be something good. So understand what God is promising you. He is not promising that everything that happens in your life will be good. Again, that is not the promise. This is not heaven. It is far from it. But what God is promising you is that by the time he is done with it, uh, what ends up as an end result will be a blessing. All right, well, that's our text for today. Kind of short, but that's our text for today. It's just one verse. And so that means it's time for us to ask the question we ask every week around here. What difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I, I get what God is saying. I get that he makes us this promise that he's going to turn all these things around and that it's going to be good. But as I'm going back through the inventory of my life, as I'm thinking back over some of the things that I've experienced, some of the things that some of my family members have experienced, some of the things that my close friends have experienced, I don't see how. I really don't. How God could possibly turn that around and make it something good. I don't see how this could possibly be a blessing. So what difference does any of this make to me? You know, that's a really fair question. It's an honest question. So let's see if we can answer that. Um, we were off at graduation parties this past weekend. Some of y'all have been to some of those. And uh, there's cake at many of those. Uh, does anybody here love cake? I got, a few, I got a few fans of cake. My wife is a fan of cake. And uh, she went over to one of the parties, and she found a corner piece with, like, the extra icing. And she was enjoying her piece of cake. Um, but you know, when you have to bake a cake, you have to bring certain ingredients together, right? And one of those ingredients that you have to bring together are raw eggs. 
You ever had a raw egg? I hadn't been there. I, I hadn't done that. I, I, I don't know if any of y'all remember, I'm kind of dating myself here, but there was a movie about a boxer years ago called Rocky. And then Rocky, he would crack the egg in the morning, a couple of them, and then slug those things back, the raw eggs. And um, a couple of my friends tried that. I just never wanted to get in shape that bad, right? Um, but I mean, the thought of eating raw eggs, ugh, I'm not interested in that. Well, another one of the ingredients that you put into cake is cooking oil. Could you imagine pouring a little cooking oil in a glass and tossing that back? I mean, you have heartburn for a week. Right? That would, be that would be terrible. I would never want to eat pure cooking oil. Um, how about flour? Taking some, un some bleached flour. I mean, just getting a spoonful of that. Mmm, yummy, right? No, you wouldn't do that. That would be terrible. It would not be good at all. Uh, put some, uh, how about butter? Taking a knife and a fork to some butter and just maybe biting off a piece of a stick of butter, right? Again, these are all the ingredients that go into making a cake. You say, Gordon, what's your point? Well, my point is that the stuff that goes into the cake is kind of yucky. It's kind of blech, you know? Wouldn't want to eat it on its own. But when you mix those ingredients together and you blend them together, well, people start showing up wanting to put their finger in the batter, right? They're asking to lick the spoon. And then you take that batter and you put it in the oven for just the right amount of time. And you put it in there for just the right temperature. And voila! My wife is over there trying to find the corner piece, right? Um, and so, you know, have something that smells delicious, something that tastes delicious. Uh, but again, what went into that cake, into making that cake, was not something that was all that pleasant of its own. My point is, when we are going through circumstances, those are just the raw ingredients. And God is saying, I will take those raw ingredients, I'll take the circumstances of your life, I'll take the terrible things, the bad things, the wonderful things, and I'll blend them all together. And when I'm done, what he promises is to produce something good, to produce something that is a blessing, either to your life or in the life of others. You know, as I was kind of working through this text this week, it reminded me of the story of Joseph, uh, Joseph from the Old Testament. Joseph uh, had older brothers, 11 older brothers, and they despised Joseph. Um, he was, I guess, his father's favorite, and um, he had a mouth, right? And so the brothers decided that they wanted to eliminate Joseph, and they had an opportunity to do this, and so they sold him off into slavery, made up this backstory about how Joseph had been killed by a, a lion or some beast or something, went home and told their father that, um, a terrible thing for them to do. Well, it's interesting that Joseph was then sold into slavery, lived in slavery for 13 years, right? Nine of those, he was actually in jail, in an Egyptian jail. And I wouldn't want to be in an Egyptian jail today. I can't imagine being in an Egyptian jail 4,000 years ago. Not a pleasant place at all. Um, and so Joseph spent that time there, and I'm sure... Uh, well, and then the next thing that happens is uh, Joseph is... Uh, Pharaoh has a dream, and... Nobody in Pharaoh's court can interpret this dream, and they hear that Joseph is a guy, this fellow that lives down there in the prison cells, that he knows how to interpret dreams. And so the Joseph is summoned, he's brought up, and Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream correctly, that there's going to be seven years of uh, plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of want. And so because of this, Pharaoh says, hey, you know what, Joseph, how about you be in charge of my empire? That's quite a promotion. Um, and so Joseph literally becomes the prime minister of the empire of Egypt. He's second in command only to the Pharaoh himself. And then the famine strikes the land. Um, well, seven years of plenty, and then the famine strikes. 
And so all during those seven years of plenty, according to Pharaoh's dream, Joseph had been putting away grain in the storehouses. And so when the famine hit, when the drought hit, um, the people of Egypt were saved. The people of Egypt were spared. Everything was fine. They didn't miss a beat. But all the peoples in the surrounding area were in distress because they didn't know about this famine that was coming. They had been putting grain away. So at least not for seven years worth. And so what happens is Joseph's family, among others, uh, comes to Egypt and asks, we hear that you all have all this grain, all this extra store supply. Could we possibly have some of that in order to provide for our families? And while they're there in Pharaoh's court, and they're talking to the prime minister, who they don't realize who he is, uh, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And uh, they're terrified, you can imagine. It's been 20 years now. Right? 13 years as a slave, 7 years now since the, since the time's been going good. 20 years now they see their brother. And they realize that, that you know, he could take out his revenge on them. And so they're terrified. And then look at Joseph's response. Listen to his response. He says, Genesis chapter 15, verse 20. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Verse 21. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Again, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. Now, you just, do you suppose that lying in that jail cell, that Joseph had a few moments where he questioned, God, what are you up to? Why am I here? Why am I going through that? Why are these circumstances in my life? I, I thought I've just honored you. I thought I've just lived for you. I'm, I, I love you. Why am I going through this? As I'm sure Joseph asked those questions, and we ask those questions. I don't have to love the circumstances of my life. I don't even have to like what I'm going through. But what I know is that what, and what gives me hope and strength is knowing that God has made me a promise. And his promise is to work all those things together for good, to make them a blessing, whether it's in my life or in the lives of others. And so what that means is that no suffering is in vain and that no tragedy is without purpose, that God has a purpose and intention for it. All things are working together for good. I recently ran across an, uh, an article about a guy by the name of Calvin Catter. Calvin Catter was a missionary to Africa um, not that long ago, back in the 70s, 80s. And uh, he was writing in this article, and he was talking about how he was on his way on a plane flight from east to west Africa across the continent, and uh, how they made a refueling stop about halfway across the continent on this little dirt runway, this little dirt strip. And so he's, the plane lands, and the stewardesses get off, and they're all just still seated on the plane waiting on the refuel they're going to take back off. And he sees a little bit of a commotion going on outside of the plane, and the pilot hops off the plane, and then he comes back on the plane. He says, is there a Calvin Catter here? And Calvin raises his hand says, yeah, I'm Calvin Catter. He says, sir, I'm really sorry uh, about this. He said, but there's a lady outside of uh, the plane who bought a ticket three days ago for the next leg of this flight. And we see that you bought your ticket today. And so, you know, last guy on, first guy off, because the plane's totally full. And so Calvin said, well, hold on, wait a minute. I, I, I bought my ticket two weeks ago from this airline. I don't know what you're talking about. And they said, well, sir, I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do, but uh, you're going to have to get off the plane. And so Calvin Catter got off the plane. And he said, well, when's another flight going to come by? And they said, eh, one day, two days, three days, but there'll be another flight by. And they revved up the engines and boom, headed off and left him standing there 
um, in the dirt on this runway in the middle of nowhere. He said, I was standing there on the runway with my bags in the dirt and no idea what to do. There were no hotels, there was no coffee shop, and he said, I stood there in an irritable and disgusted frame of mind. Well, while Calvin was standing there in his irritable and disgusted frame of mind, he saw a woman beginning to approach him, a white woman. And she, uh, she said, are you Calvin Catter? He said, yes, I am. She said, well, I recognize you because my husband and I attended a mission conference several years back ago, and you were actually one of the people who was speaking at that conference. She said, um, you know, is there anything, you know, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, that's a really long story, but uh, nevertheless, I'm here. And she said, well, do you have any plans for tonight? And he said, nope, no plans for tonight. And she said, uh, well, how about you come over to my house and have dinner with my husband and I, and, and we can, we'll be happy to put you up for the night if you need a place to stay for the night. He said, okay, that'd be fine. And so while he was visiting with this couple, he sat there and he listened to the two of them talk about how they had, were working for an American company there in Central Africa and how they were Christians. And uh, they also shared how they had a deep and uh, burden for reaching the indigenous people of Christ, for Christ living in Africa. And they had a tent that they used for open-air meetings. It was a big tent. And they needed a vehicle, a big truck, to, to carry this tent around out into the bush to get from these, to these little towns that were in remote areas. And they've been praying, they've been asking God to please provide us a truck here in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of Central Africa. Please provide for us a truck. Well, um, you'll never guess what Calvin Catter had at the town that he was intended to be flying to. Guess. How'd you guess? <laughs> right? Yeah, he had a truck. And it was a truck that somebody had given him. It was a truck that he didn't even want. It was a truck that he didn't even need. In fact, he had planned on selling this truck when he got to the town where he was going. And as he sat there and he was listening to this, all of a sudden, it occurred to him what God had been doing. Here's how Catter closed the article. He said, and I quote, I was kicked off a plane in the middle of nowhere only to find out that it was exactly where God wanted me to be. Friends, the promise God makes us is not that everything that comes into our life is going to be good because it isn't. Rather, the promise that God makes is centered around the power of God to take even the worst things, even the most distasteful things, yes, even the terrible things, and to so overrule them that they become a blessing. And so the challenge to us is to say to God, God, I may not be able to understand this right now. God, I may not be able to see the good that you're going to produce out of this right now. But because you promised that you will work all things together and produce something good, God, I will trust you. God, I will not abandon you. God, I will hold on to you, even when things aren't going my way. Friends, when we can do that, we have a godly view of our circumstances. And an outlook like that will ward off depression and it will hold back our hand from wanting to take revenge. I mean, why would we want to take revenge? Those people that are being nasty, those people that are working their best to try and undermine us, friends, they're just pawns in the hand of God. They're just, they don't realize it, but they're just on their way to producing a blessing, on their way to producing something good that God's going to produce out of all that. I mean, they hate us so much. If they understood this principle, 
Romans chapter 8, verse 28, because they hate us so much, they'd be nice to us. I was expecting more of a response right there. (laughs) Think about that one. Friends, God really does know what he's doing. And if we will let God have the worst things that have been done to us, and some of us have had the worst things done to us years ago, stuff that we're still bitter about. But friends, in some way, God is going to use those things and has used those things to be a blessing in your life or in the lives of others. We don't know how many people are in heaven today because of the struggles that we went through. We don't. Some of us are compassionate today towards other people because of some of the suffering that we went through. And we would not be a people who are sensitive to the sufferings and the struggles of other people had we not gone through that stuff ourselves. Some of us are going through tough times right now. You don't understand why this is happening. But again, the Word of God declares that God's going to take all that stuff and He's going to work it together and He's going to produce something that's a blessing, either in your life or in the lives of others. Let me say in closing that I know that there are some of us who have been through some things that we cannot see any earthly way how God could produce, possibly produce, something good out of this. Friends, all I can say is that we need to give God time. Let's not look at the cake half-baked, right? Give God time. Trust Him. You say, well, how much time? I don't know. I mean, you may never live to see the good that God's going to produce. You say, well, great. I appreciate that. But friends, one thing I can say is that when we stand on the shores of heaven and Jesus takes us back through the, replays our life in front of us, friends, we will be thankful for the struggles that we went through and we will see how God worked all those things together for good. And there will be no regrets in that moment. There will be nothing but joy in our hearts and praising God for the things that we went through that God used for his glory. Friends, God did not lie to Joseph. He did what he said he would do. And God did not lie to Calvin Catter. God came through on his promise. And friends, God will not lie to you either. He is working behind the scenes for the good of those who love him. Let's pray together. Most gracious Lord, we just thank you so much uh, for this word today, for this truth uh, that permeates uh, really where we live. God, many of us have been through difficult struggles. Some of us are going through difficulty even now, and we can't see, uh, perhaps at all ever in this life, what you're doing behind the scenes and how you are pulling things together and and the impact for eternity that the things we're going through right now will one day have. Lord, may we this morning, just in these quiet moments of communion, declare to you that we trust you, that your hands are competent, that your view of eternity is long, that you can see the end from the beginning. And so, Lord, because of our belief in you, because of our because of your competency, Lord, because you have proved it time and time again, may we declare to you, God, that even in the midst of what we're going through, we trust you. Lord, we thank you so much for your death on the cross. We thank you for your shed blood. We ask Jesus that you would just use these few moments 
to settle our hearts, to quiet us before you. Holy Spirit, speak and encourage us, we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Communion elements are there in the seat in front of you. We invite you to share in a time of the Lord's Supper, and then we will um, close with worship.